There's a commercial in the middle for, is it Genki Forest or something? Uh, and it's these like, just what struck me as funny is how much they're talking about how the drink has no calories and no sugar. And it's like, you've been doing backbreaking labor for like a week. <laughs> First of all, you're already rail thin and you're burning like 4,000 calories a day and exerting yourself like you never had. And you're just really concerned that you're like, hydration will have too many calories in it. Today we're doing something a little different. Pilot talk on China Talk. I have with us today Trey Colmer, a television writer who currently writes for Ghosts on CBS and is on strike, so has nothing better to do uh, than join myself as well, Irene Zhang, a longtime China Talk editor, to talk about uh, hot new Chinese television pilots, which, um, you know, if this strike keeps going long enough, may be the only new television that there is to watch in the coming uh, months and years. Um, we're going to be discussing uh, some really fun new shows which have come out. Zhong uh, Diba, a um, uh, reality show that takes like young, handsome men from cities and like tries to turn them into farmers. Um, we have Ijia, uh, English name The Long Season, a 9.4 on Doban, which is basically the highest score any show has gotten in years. It's a 12 episode long murder mystery set in Dongbei. Uh, I'm, I'm like a huge fan of The Watch, which is an American like TV discussion show. And so this is my pale imitation of trying to do that in English about Chinese television. So um, uh, over the course of the episode, I'll give sort of short little introductions about what these shows are. But I do think if you're interested in the shows, well, there won't be spoilers because we're only talking about the pilots. But um, I do think you'll be able to enjoy this conversation more if you watch the episodes, um, there's English subtitles for all of them, and uh, I'll put the links for the YouTube videos in the description. And with that, let's kick it off. Uh, Trey and Irene, welcome to China Talk. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited to be here. Okay. Um, let's start out with like the most absurd, um, which I guess is this, uh, which which I guess is this reality show. Uh, uh, Trey, Irene, what were your first impressions of, um, life on the farm? Uh, my first reaction was, it was just sort of mesmerizing watching people farm and that there was so much less conflict than an American reality show. I think for more than half of it, they're just farming and it's stuff's going well. They're all getting along. Maybe, you know, maybe a harvester gets stuck. Uh, but yeah, it was way set up less of people just at each other's throats from from the beginning um i i had a question what is there like a stereotype that we're supposed to assume these kids coming in are like are these supposed to be big city kids coming out to the country or or kind of yeah how's that supposed to be understood my understanding is that they were scouted from they, they, like not all of them were pretty much supposed to be in the entertainment industry already like they're very attractive people and they i think we are meant to go in with the assumption that at least they haven't been subject to that kind of hardship before they're not necessarily extremely privileged financially i guess not necessarily but they are from urban areas and they probably you know haven't driven a tractor day in their life yeah, I think some of them, they, they all, like most of them, particularly the super handsome ones, have some sort of entertainment background. Like they went to like a 
entertainment, like an acting university or like they've been on other sort of small roles in television shows. So, um, you know, it's not like just people on the street who want to learn how to farm, though. I think that's some of them. There is a mix between these folks okay. with like the, you know, who want to be singers and then others who are just like, I'm going to do some weird thing for for eight months. Yeah, it was funny. I was reading some reviews, and one of the things that a lot of people kept saying on Chinese forums was, "Wow, the kids are so polite these days," because they—it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's like the lack, the whole like anti-Kardashian thing is that like these boys are sort of remarkably composed in the face of adversity and never really yell at each other. It sort of flows down, I think, from what the vision of the show was, which is to have this be a kind of like re relaxing watch. Um, you know, there there's lots of other even if like like interpersonal drama is not necessarily at the heart of uh, a lot of Chinese uh, reality television shows. There, others are shot much faster, like there are quicker cuts. There's all this like stuff popping up on the screen and, um, you know, they have these like extreme challenges or, um, you know, they're put in weird situations and like things have to be moving really fast and they're driving around or whatever. Um, but I think it, it was it was very smart casting on the part of them to not have them be fighting with each other all the time, because like another theme of the show, I think, is like these urban city dweller, handsome actor people like finding out a way to you know, respect, learn from, and live together with the uh, the 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 mean the um uh, you know the, the farmers who are like at first very clearly sort of annoyed and frustrated that these um these young kids are are are, are in their life and their neighborhood all of a sudden. Um, yeah, they were all very um, deferential to the farmers, and I I the show it almost had like an ASMR element to it. Of even. Even without the conflict or if there was no, you know, harvester getting stuck, I kind of just loved watching them cut the wheat and when they would dump it in the big dump truck and when they would dump it out, it was so pleasing. Uh, but I mean, but Tom, I mean, he, you know, he's not a polite young man. He's giving it to the farmers. Yeah, so basically in the, 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 the mini arc there was this young guy who like thought he knew how to drive the tractor and like uh very quickly five six old local tractor driver farmers um start like laughing at him and they tell him once or twice ah oh, you should do this you should do that he's like no i got it like i know how to drive a car leave me alone you you hillbillies and then of course he like gets it stuck in the mud and it becomes this whole thing that like the farmers like absolutely knew it was coming and then like they have to help him by like towing him out and getting planks for the mud or whatever it was played very it was it was very like low key the whole um uh, the way they shot it and 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 showed it in the show again it wasn't it wasn't like folks screaming at each other there's a commercial in the middle for is it Genki forest or something uh and it's these like this is what struck me as funny is how much they're talking about how the drink has no calories and no sugar and it's like you've been doing back breaking labor for like a week and first of all, you're already rail thin <laughs> And you're burning like 4,000 calories a day and exerting yourself like you never had. And you're just really concerned that your like hydration will have too many calories in it. Right. That was just the most unintentionally funny part to me as well is that Skanky Forest, uh, which uh, for context is basically Chinese LaCroix, is such a bizarre sponsor for this whole thing. And it's so prominent. They just keep drinking it. And it's like, 
you know, what Chinese village are you going to the convenience store and just have like a whole wall of this stuff? Yeah. So the way the way Chinese ads work um, on sponsored uh, reality shows is um, it's sort of this like whole package deal where, um, you know, in the show, they're only allowed to drink one thing. Um, and then like at every meal, it will be sort of like very prominently placed with a label facing towards the camera, um, as well as like the most popular um, uh, either actors or I guess like participants in this case will, you know, in commercials, it'll be like cut out of the real life and they'll be on a soundstage or whatever and saying like, I really love to eat this thing or I really love to drink this thing. Um, it, it's even more jarring when it's for like a, like a period piece um, TV show because oh, yeah. um, then you see the actors who are still sort of in character sometimes um, go out and say like, here's this like milk brand um even though i'm like shooting a show that's set in 1930 shanghai uh but like if i if it was around then i certainly would have drank it um so uh yeah a lot that's of like so weird fun. mismatching that goes on with um uh, uh product placement particularly for food stuffs um yeah i just wanted to add in uh after it occurred to me, we didn't talk about the down to the countryside movement during the Cultural Revolution, where uh, basically to sort of cool off the Cultural Revolution, Mao decided to send uh, tens, hundreds of thousands of city dwelling young people um, into the countryside to learn how to farm to sort of, um, uh, I guess, like re-educate them in the ways of the people. And obviously this is not something that in the first 15, 15 episodes of watching this show I've seen, but is an interesting sort of parallel to think about that now we're in this sort of like post-industrialized universe where wealthy, educated young people in big uh, urban Chinese cities are seeing this as something like cute um, to go and, uh, and, and grow crops. Whereas, you know, in the uh, 1960s and 70s, it had a very, very different... Um, cultural and political context. So let's turn to uh, the second show of today's discussion, The Long Season, um, the biggest hit since Kwangbiao, uh, uh, the knockout, uh, I guess like murder is on the minds. Uh, well, I guess everyone likes murder shows, but this uh, this pilot was really something. Trey, what, um, uh, what intrigued you about it? I sound like a rube, but I had to watch it twice with the, the subtitles go very fast when they're speaking. Um, I found, I really loved the present day stuff the most. It had like a real momentum to it. It's just one thing leads to the next. You know, he bought a car, he got ripped off. You know, it's clear you have this guy who knows what he's doing and his friend who's kind of an idiot and a show off. And he buys this car. He thinks he gets an amazing deal on the taxi. So he's gonna, instead of sharing a taxi, have his own. And it was a ripoff. It's got a lot of damage. And then he is set up for some sort of, to take the fall for some sort of hit and run. And it just feels like each scene has momentum. Uh, they get right to the next thing. The police impound the car and he, he can't get the car until he, I guess, is exonerated for the hit and run. Uh, so he asks where the victim is and he says, where's the hospital? And you just cut straight to the hospital. It felt like there was a, a nice pacing and a momentum and then I can't tell if I was missing stuff in some of the translation, but I 
lost the thread a little bit in the, you know, you cut back 20 years and you see where he was in the late nineties uh, in this kind of factory town that's on hard times. And I, I think the factory was shut down because someone went missing and there were the resources weren't available to run the factory. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it wasn't really made clear whether the factory was shut down because of the murder, uh, but it like it was implied that it contributed to it, at least in, in the pilot. Um, yeah, and yeah, I agree about the translation thing is that it like unfortunately the show on YouTube is pretty badly um, subtitled in English and partly because uh, so just for context, this show is set in kind of like a fictional um, northeastern town in China. Uh, quite a bit of dialogue is that delivered in kind of regional northeastern um, dialect, which is understandable to like people who speak Mandarin, but there are some specific expressions and kind of even like ways of speech in it that doesn't really translate well. Yeah, I struggled a little bit with the Chinese um, and was was sort of like turning subtitles on and off over the time. It's, it's really funny because like Tencent, there was like one line where they're like a grenade apparently is beer in in Dongbaihua, which I didn't uh, which I didn't know. But in the, like they give you a little they give you a little explanation for it. And I was like, thank you, Tencent. But like you guys should have done that 20 times because there are all these other like weird phrases of like men in their 60s in northeastern china which i i'm not particularly familiar familiar with uh but yeah so okay so following through to the plot we have um uh, we sort of flick back to the tonight to the 1990s and um it turns out that somebody got chopped up um and uh we're sort of left on this on this big cliffhanger about how this connects to um how the the, the sort of taxi driver who um, knows how to knows how to get things done uh you know how this relates to his family um and exactly what um what he's going to do about it um to sort of like solve the case uh all the way up in 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 2016 i thought the music was fantastic um uh you had this mix of like like jazzy stuff there were horns there was piano there was like some some rock music this even like this like long violin intro which i thought was just like really good scene setting i mean i have, have having not like lived in Dongbei in 2016 uh presumably this must have been something on the radio at the time but um uh, it really did give a give a give a um give a sense of place for me at least uh irene what um uh, uh what, what about the show uh struck out for you i mean there was one point where i was like wow the really wow by the writing um so there was one point where the guy who just couldn't get his car back uh this was thinking the flashback where he went to his he went back to his house uh where his wife who seems to be some sort of esthetician who runs her own business in their home um and she was working on a client and he comes back he sits down he turns on the tv and his wife's client was like a little bit too noisy and kind of suddenly implying that she would prefer if the husband shut it off and he just totally like misses all the cues in a point that's like almost very embarrassing. And then he just kind of gives orders for his wife who's in the middle of serving her client to make him some food. And yeah, it was like, it, I think it, I mean, it translates well at that point because like that's something that you get in Western media as well. The sort of making me a sandwich kind of thing, but just in a very Chinese context. And it, 
it's hard to kind of describe it without showing the thing, but the writing, I think, was really striking in the way the pacing and the tone works to show how, how little he thought of his wife's work laid right in front of him. One, one of the things I think a lot of Chinese shows have struggled with is like bad guys. Um, oftentimes they're sort of too cartoonish or, um, uh, I don't know, you, you, you having like, uh, realistic negative characters, I imagine is something that like very quickly, you know, you start to get in trouble. Um, if you sort of, you know, th there, there are lots of ways where you can get yourself in trouble by, um, uh, by writing bad guys. And, um, uh, this movie, th this show felt a lot more like an indie movie, I think in those scenes where, um, it was really, um, you know, uh, specific and, um, you know, there was a, there was a ton of atmosphere in, in, in the, in like giving him this characterization of like being someone who's like really disrespectful. Uh, Trey, anything, uh, about those scenes in particular that, uh, struck out to you? Well, yes. Um, I, it was very unpleasant in like an, in like a cool way. It was. I think we see less of that specific dynamic on Western shows right now. And yeah, it felt, I mean, to me, it felt very, it felt kind of fresh and felt, you know, as you said, very specific. I thought one interesting thing was that the main character in the flashback with his family was like very dismissive and disrespectful and, uh, and, you know, unappreciative of what he had with his wife and his son and uh, and it feels like a bit of a flip on how these things are usually done, where usually it's the character in the past has faced some, dealt with some trauma, and he's kind of pardoned himself to the world, and now he's, like, mean, and he doesn't care about people, and he needs to get through that in the end to kind of solve whatever problem he's trying to solve. Whereas in this show, it feels like the main character is kind of in the present, um, not actualized. He has something he wants to solve, but he's like, seems like he has stuff figured out. He seems like a good guy. He um, has a son in the present who he appreciates and wants to go on a trip with. And then you cut back to before this. Um, I don't know how much to spoil. I had to read ahead to kind of understand what's going on, but he ends up you know, facing a tragedy that seems like it turned him from a curmudgeon into uh, a more appreciative guy, if that makes sense. It, it kind of feels like a flip on how how that stuff usually goes. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I don't want to read into this too much in a sort of like very culturalist relative thing, but I wonder part of it just because kind of Western narratives prefer that kind of like salvation from trauma thing going on. And that's not really something that I guess is as salient for a Chinese audience. Um, and it's not there isn't really that similar kind of expectation that a character's past trauma will kind of make them a antagonist. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I, I feel like in Western shows, so much of it, almost every main character has their past trauma that they need to come to terms with in order to solve whatever they're trying to solve. It kind of, yeah, I, I'd be curious to see more shows and kind of see what fills the gap of you know don draper just needs to share with his family what his childhood was really like so they can understand him or kind of what fills that trope 
And uh, Trevor, I'd actually love to hear your take on, I mean, just following up from that line of the difference in narratives. Uh, there was one, uh, I don't know how far along the synopsis you read, but I mean, not to spoil stuff, but the it, the kind of the long narrative the show is about a woman seeking revenge after a lot of pretty horrific trauma and in a very dark way. And I'm curious what you think about that take because to me it struck me as something that's fresh in Chinese um, media but is done a lot in the West from like Killing Eve and whatnot. Yeah, so I, so that's how the season goes. It becomes, uh, there's a woman who becomes the main, one of the main protagonists. Um, that's so interesting. I mean, I, the thing that that reminds me of is Kill Bill. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a Quentin Tarantino uh, two movies that's very clear woman's been horribly wronged and she is on a mission for revenge. Um, I think, you know, and it goes you know way back. There's like, you know, Count of Monte Cristo. There's kind of, it's kind of like a genre. Um, but it's, uh, it's very easy to write when the main character has just such a clear thing they want and every scene can be them trying to pursue that thing. Uh, once you have that thing, uh, or once one of those like tropes kind of enters the uh, the language of the of the television shows people are putting on, I could see other other creators wanting to just use that to help propel their stories. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess the reason that felt fresh for me in terms of the Chinese media context is that there is a kind of in that tradition of like Kill Bill and like um, that sort of murdery woman narrative um you have that in the kind of chinese tradition but usually in the more kind of traditional literature sense like the one woman kills herself not other people and oh wow like it's it to a chinese audience is subverting something they're more familiar with so, so yeah, I think like uh, like two years ago, the show Why Women Kill, which was a U.S. network drama um, with like Lucy Liu, who just like murders her husband for it's like four different interweaving stories of like women who murder their husbands um, went very viral in China, um, uh, perhaps because, as you said, Irene, like this, uh, this niche isn't necessarily being filled today by um, uh, by uh, contemporary Chinese television. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was the cinematography. There were some very like fun, creative shots that um, went on in, in in this pilot. The first one in particular, where like you start in the sky and then pan down to a taxi driver peeing in a cornfield. I thought it was like a great way to sort of set the tone um, of the show. And there was also another one um, uh, towards the end where you had this like kind of like 360 like where um you know time like the way they did the uh the the, the time travel from 97 to, to 2016 um where the camera sort of like pans around him and it goes from sunny to like sad and rainy and he's crying um i thought was like very artfully done and not something a lot of uh chinese tv shows like like uh invest time and and, and money into pulling off the tension of that 360 when you it's like they're hinting something's wrong and you know this isn't like reality and you just kind of can sense it's going to reveal his kid, his son isn't there. 
I thought I agree that I thought that was really cool. The whole the whole sort of uh, cat and mouse thing where they're trying to not show the dismembered body is interesting. There was like a whole there was like that kind of window thing in front of the person who was investigating it, and people kind of were the kind of multi-layer spectacle of people trying to look in from the window, but then there's like the cordon off area outside where a lot of people were looking at it. And and then there you have the the what is seems to be the, the character's son at the top of that slow crying. And you, when you picture that like it's sort of that all those layers are revealed at different points, but as you finally are able to picture the whole thing in 3D form when you see the sun, it I think that that was also really striking to me. Uh, so in general, for Chinese television, um, gore and sex are not even PG thirteen. Um, basically, um, we're we're sort of at like a PG level. Um, people die. Um, so the the, the 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 there is a there is a dismemberment. Um, you do not see it, of course, which I think you would like almost expect if you're watching, you know, Game of Thrones or, a, um, you know, or some uh, some some American non um, non network TV show. Uh, sex also is something that like doesn't happen. Like the only time you really see like bodies that are getting blown up is in war movies where it's supposed to like elicit feelings of patriotism and pathos like towards the PLA. Um, outside of that context, like murder shows um, are not going to have um, anything, anything super gory. Um, just interesting thing to note, like a yeah. creative uh, um, box that Chinese creators end up having to work their way around in in cool ways. Like you just mentioned, Irene. Yeah, in this case, I think it works, right? Like the whole sort of unspeakable nature of it is what makes it kind of very tense. Yeah, it's almost more creepy to have like body parts in like a grocery plastic bag than it is to see them, yeah. you know, strewn out all over uh, all over a house or something. And I think just like like Dongbei personalities are so good and fun to watch. Like most of the... Uh, popular comedians uh, nowadays come from Dongbei. We have um, uh, uh, this sort of like dry, sharp humor, um, like is really good on screen, I think. So um, regionalisms aside, um, it was uh, really fun and engaging Chinese to listen to and um, uh, recommend folks uh, check it out. I wanted to close with... One of the coolest series that uh, Billy Billy put out um, over the past few months. It's called Zhongguo Jitan, uh, um, and it's eight 20-minute uh, animated shorts, um, all from different directors and, like, wildly different um, uh, visual styles, which tell sort of, like, like fables or just, like, you know, little arcs um, and... Uh, there was some real interesting creativity that I think got put into them. So, um, Irene, what did you think was cool about it? Yeah, I guess I, just for context, the first episode is um, involves this little monster who is in this monster clan slash, slash company town who decides to give up the monster. Eventually, decides to give give up the monster right because he finds it really awful and um, choice to support the bright side instead um and it's a really cool reverse narrative if you know the original story the original story is about 
is from one of the kind of four classics, Chinese literature is the um, journey to the, to the West. And um, in the original story, it was the, you know, the heroes, the, the, the good monk and his disciples going around and defeating all these monsters. And in the story, it was saved from a monster's perspective, which is already pretty, pretty fun. And um, there is a deep, there's a pretty deeper philosophical part to this. Um, you, you can read it in a, I guess, very spiritual sense in, well, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but in the little monster's final decision of like, to what extent are we as individuals responsible for the things that big structures bigger than us do. Um, I read this very interesting Doban review that took read it from a Marxist perspective of kind of the little monster's relationship with the monster company being this alienation from alienation from labor and how his defection is uh, him deciding that deciding to kind of abandon capitalism. Uh, that was really interesting. I, I mean, personally, I still read it in that more moral sense of how we as individuals cope with working in bad systems. That's so interesting to, to hear to hear that because I, I, I was watching it and I, I was thinking, is this meant to be subversive at all over there? Because I was reading it as like, this feels like a a critique of a stereotype of communism uh of they're you know getting the bureaucracy is creating this waste and it's beating down anyone who's trying to improve the system but it's so interesting to hear that it is probably meant to be perceived as a critique of capitalism oh no no not at all uh i think the capital the marxism thing is probably a kind of slightly niche reading i agree with you i think uh when i first watched that i was like this feels a bit subversive in how it discusses power and how one individual imagines your agency in the face of belonging to a um, totally controlling system that you see as doing evil but don't have control over. Um, like whether or not it is valuable to make yourself the sacrifice to make that point. Um, and I think you, I mean, to... Uh, the part, the side, you can read it as the very Chinese politics kind of view of it. You can also read it in the longer Chinese literary tradition of there being a lot of traditional stories and literature and like historical stories of people who, th this idea of the loyal opposition of someone who sacrifices themselves to show the injustice of society. And yeah, I think you, you don't have to read it as politically subversive in his current moment, but you can understand it as part of that. Um, when these story, I guess these traditional stories, did the monsters represent some group or some like group within Chinese society at the time? Or was it just kind of a, a mythological, uh, kind of mythological domain of creatures? I'm, I'm sure there are, ex there are, re there are literary scholars who have tried to study it. If you're just a sort of popular reader, like someone who enjoys it for the stories, that you're not really meant to read the monsters as explicit caricatures. There are some that are. There, there are some that are like, you know, the drunk bar owner or like the this evil woman who eats people or whatnot. Um, and 
But if, if it starts to just a sort of animalistic monsters, it's just sort of meant as this sort of abstraction of chaotic evil. I think is my understanding of it. But I mean, in this case, there was, I, I mean, there was one moment, I don't know if you guys remember it, but that I really liked was when the little monster goes back to his family. Um, and he, well, he was like, oh, my work, my job is so hard. And his mom is very nice towards him and gives him food, drinks. And they talk about it almost as if it's kind of just a, your average company job that a young person might have in China. Um, and there was that really interesting contrast between this little monster's moral struggle with his job being part of, you know, great evil. And you can also just consider it part of mundane daily life. Uh, another thing that struck out to me about this episode was the uh, the background, which is like, uh, you know, they hired traditional Chinese landscape painters to do the uh, the environments, which I thought was really fun. Um, if you go forward um, to other episodes, you'll see sort of um, like uh, there's a little there's some 3D animation. There's um, different styles of like painting which go on. Um, it's really um uh, exciting to watch something where every 20 minutes you just get like an entirely new sort of visual breath of fresh air the one i think really um another one that really struck out to me was episode seven um which is a story of like an old man living in a beijing hutong who ends up having to move and like um he has this like beautiful interaction with all of the you know, like the animals and the, the the stone lions that he's been living with for the past 75 years um in like a very cool sort of like 3d world um but uh yeah it's it's really fun seeing sort of like fresh visual stuff and i think because you're condensed to 20 minutes as opposed to you know having to do a feature movie or like having a uh you know a long-standing animated show like you can really take some bigger swings and 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 try to make more complicated stuff presumably the billy billy budget that the um uh, these different directors got made was enough to um make some very interesting looking uh shows because that's what we end we've, we we end up getting here um that's cool yeah although it can be like uh expensive to make new sets in animated it was there were like a lot of different locations and uh Every location, you know, I guess they need to design what it looks like. And it just looked like so much work went in to that, those 20 minutes that, yeah, I'm surprised they were, they're able to do it where every episode has a different look and they have to re redesign and recreate all those assets for, for every episode. It's, it's like really impressive. Uh, I think this was my favorite of all of that. I was just kind of <laughs> loved how it looked. Loved the little boar and yeah, was enjoying it the whole way through. There was um, kind of a previous golden age of Chinese animation in the, in the late 90s. And um, when there, there were a couple of state-owned state animation firms that did very like gorgeous, like very traditional, traditional Chinese art-inspired animation films based on traditional stories. I, I, Part of me reads this show as a homage to that a little bit. I... I wish we would do more of this. Yeah, there's a, um, uh, you know, there's like a very sad arc in 20th century uh, Chinese animation because like you had some really incredible stuff in the 50s and 60s. And then a lot of the folks, um, you know, had, uh, you know, were 
like part of old culture and there was some cultural revolution stuff which which ended up uh really taking a bite out of the sort of talent and trajectory of um of chinese anime and there's been a lot of um it's been a long road to get yeah yeah um and i think like like over the past few years you've seen a number of 3d animated movies do particularly well um but i think 3d animation is kind of stupid uh so it's fun seeing uh, uh it's fun seeing 2d um 2d um uh, uh 2db showcased in such a uh, such a dramatic way um cool all right this was fun. This was different. Um, uh, China Talk listener is interested. It'd be fun to have like a rotating cast of characters to, excuse me, a cast of like participants to join this discussion. I feel like we could keep this up once a month or something. Um, uh, there'll be plenty of other new shows coming down the pipeline. So um, uh, yeah, if you're interested in joining this conversation next time uh, or have shows you've enjoyed that you want to um, uh, uh, discuss on the show, reach out. Thanks so much.
やつじごう。